Hey, this is Nathan, and today on Not the Pastor, we are going to discuss Calvinism with Pastor Tim Schellenberger. In 2009, Pastor Tim planted the Centralia Bible Baptist Church in Centralia, Washington, and having dealt with Calvinism extensively, Pastor Tim has been equipped to answer some questions for us, such as, what do Calvinists actually believe? What are some misunderstandings that we have about Calvinism? And also, what scripture should we use when defending against Calvinism? Stay tuned in until the very end, because you don't want to miss out on any of this helpful info. All right. Well, Pastor Tim Schellenberger, thank you so much for being with us today on Not the Pastor. I, I've been looking forward to this conversation and uh, already been able to uh, talk with you a little bit about our topic uh, today about Calvinism specifically and kind of your journey with that and some things that you learned. And I, I was just hoping that we could talk about that again now and, and that hopefully that would be a help to others. And as we go maybe a little bit deeper on it, I, I know it's already, like I said, been a help to me, but maybe we could just start out with, with sharing with you sharing kind of your journey what what how did how did that go for you as you uh began to dive into what calvinism is and and what the beliefs are there and and sort of uh an answer to that how, how did that go for you yeah well first of all thanks for inviting me to be a part of the podcast uh and it's my privilege and I think this is a good place to start where where did my journey begin um in, into calvinism and dealing with that, it started with church planning. Uh, 11 years ago, Lord called us out here to Centralia, Washington to plant a church. And in doing so, we were able to see some people uh, come to come to know the Lord, um, get baptized, join the church, and they began to grow. And as they did, they got into the Bible. And some started asking questions. Uh, some were listening to, obviously, uh, radio programs, watching TV preachers reading books, getting to hear the podcast, they were hungry, new believers. And, and so uh, it seemed like all at once, there was about, about three to four guys in the church that uh, started asking questions about Calvinism. And they began developing friendships um, that were uh, good friends that they, that they acquired that were you know, Calvinistic in their tendencies and beliefs. And so um, they started asking questions. Um, and at first I didn't, I didn't know that there was these growing friendships behind the scenes. Um, so here's a new believer asking me a question about Calvinism. I gave a fairly boilerplate answer and seemed to be fine. And then he comes back about a month later um, or another gentleman and has similar questions. And um, I realized uh, after a little while that there's actually um just friends getting together and talking at work, friends getting together and talking after work. And a lot of the conversations had to do with salvation and specifically about Calvinism. And uh, so where it went from there was then um, uh, we had a family, um, one in particular that started attending a church, our church and just a great family. Um, I still consider them friends today. They were members with us for seven years. Um, and, uh, they had a heart to raise their kids, to know the Lord. They're wanting to serve God. They were wanting to see people saved. They just wanted to add value to their local church and they wanted to join our church. 
And um, so we sat down, we started talking about what we believed and as a church where we stood. And so the, the gentleman, he said, well, he goes, we would love to join. I've been attending for quite some time, but I want to let you know up front, we are Calvinist. And I literally started laughing because I, I thought he was joking. I, there's, there's no way because he's been attending for months and has seemed to love everything about our church. And now here he is telling me he's, he's coming. I literally thought it was a joke. And when he wasn't laughing and I'm, I am, it dawned on me like, uh, now he really is a Calvinist, which made me laugh. I thought, well, this is, this is just got, I made it really awkward by laughing, but, um, Anyway, we started then sitting down and, and discussing what that meant. And to my surprise, um, I did not have a good understanding about Calvinism. Um, I thought I did. And he began um, uh, just very, um, he wasn't mean spirited whatsoever. And we had some very, very good conversations about where I was, about where he, where he was. Um, and and I just thought, man, as far as how people have described and warned me of Calvinism, this is not him, but he is a Calvinist. And so I started, I, I got on the phone, I started seeking some counsel. I called a few pastors and I asked them, what would you do if a person like this wanted to join? And out of the people I called, which was about, about five different pastors seeking counsel in this, four of the five at the end of our conversation said, basically, man, if a person like that, they love the Lord, they're wanting to raise their kids, they're soul conscious, they're soul winners. Um, I don't think you'd have a problem with them. There's only one pastor that said, Pastor Tim, do not let them join. Well, I, I went with the majority council, let them join the church, and they did a fabulous job serving the Lord together. But what happened was, um, at first, there was primarily just soteriology was our our disagreement. And even in that, there was just a small disagreement, but it began to grow and grow and grow. And they became more and more formed in their theology in every aspect of it until they eventually came to the point in time where they needed to leave the church. And they did so really graciously. And like I said, I, I consider them friends uh, still mm. today. So, But seven years. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to add, when you say that they grew to be more and more reformed, was that that they actually changed and, and grew? Or was that that more of that came to light than what you originally understood? Well, to 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 clarify that, I had that same question. Um, and one of our last conversations before they decided to remove their membership, um, I asked that. I said, so have something's changed. Either we've changed or you have changed. So what, what would you say? And he goes, well, he goes, that's easy. I've changed. I've become more solid in what I believe as a reformed theologian. That, that's in essence what he communicated to me. And be, but because there was the, the draw towards Calvinism and soteriology, he started surrounding himself with more books, more um, even going to college online and becoming more indoctrinated with reformed theology all, all, all around. Um, so it was about that, that seven year though, dialogue with a really a church member and a good friend about what Calvinism was that I think really helped sharpen me and help me be grounded. Um, and, uh, help me realize, uh, some, some of the errors of my thinking and, uh, I think that, uh, so it's been a, it was I'm very, very thankful for, for that family. Uh, so that's my journey. That's where, where I stand now. Yeah. yeah. So I'm hearing though, probably a, um, 
Oh, I'm hearing a couple of things there. First of all, the, the relationships that that's probably when you have maybe relationships or friendships, good friendships with people who would say that they are Calvinists, that that would be kind of a, a, a draw towards that, that that, that could be a, a way to be influenced by it. It's not necessarily just picking up one book and okay, now I'm a Calvinist. It's probably going to be over the course of years, lot, many conversations. Of course, for you, you didn't end up a Calvinist, but I mean that for somebody who's not solid and, and didn't have the, you know, counsel of others that that could be a very uh, real way that they could get sucked into that is through friendships at work or friendships that they develop online with, with Calvinists. W- would you, would you say that that would be accurate? Yeah. The, the ones I would say most influenced by Calvinism in our church did not necessarily, I, I wouldn't say that the, they may have been introduced to the idea by maybe some, some distant relationship, um, uh, some social media outlet, but the primary influencer was friendship. And it was the, through the friendships, they were introduced to books, they were introduced to online preaching, they were introduced to other things. Um, and that was the biggest influencer, in my opinion, was, was uh, relationships. Yeah. Good. I, and I appreciate that. I, I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves. I know that that was one of the things that we had to talk about a little bit later, but maybe mm-hmm. you mentioned that in your own mind, as you talked, just in your own heart, as you, as you talked with this former church member of yours, you you kind of began to understand some things that you misunderstood about Calvinism Mm -hmm. and about what Calvinists believe. So maybe I think that would be helpful if we talked about that for a minute, what, what can be some sort of generic misunderstandings that we specifically as Baptists or, uh, you know, as Christians have, have about Calvinism. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) okay. So one of my biggest shakeup and wake up calls was the realization that Calvinism is not a monolithic systematic of theology meaning that all Calvinists are not the same. Um, there's, there's this idea that I had that all Calvinists were like this, fit this cookie cutter mold and, um, or at least came close to it. And the truth is there's a huge, huge umbrella called Calvinism that has this enormous swath of belief system underneath it. Um, and there's plenty of debates amongst Calvinists about who the real Calvinist is. And so, but all that fits underneath this gigantic umbrella called Calvinism. And I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of the diversity of the belief systems underneath that. I wasn't aware of the kind of the, what I would say, think maybe the infighting amongst Calvinists uh, to de- try to define what true Calvinism is. Um, so that was a huge, huge one. Another one that I realized this came up, I think uh, that was, a, that, that to me, I, that dawned on me very early on. Um, then later on and more subtly, another big misunderstanding that I, that I realized was, I think, faulty thinking that I would identify with myself. And I think a lot of pastors, a lot of Christians, and it would go something like this. I'll oversimplify it to make a point, but it would, the mentality, I've never heard anybody say it this way, but it would go something like this. Now the Calvinists, they got John Calvin, but we have John 316. And, and so I'm good. They got John Calvin, but I got John three sixteen, and because of that, I'm I'm good. And so that's an oversimplification of, of it. But really, it's almost like we would say, and um, okay, 
my Calvinist friend, he's got 15 verses to back up what he believes, but I've got 16 or 17, so therefore I win. And that's just that's just that is not a good good way to deal, especially I think with Calvinism. And um, uh, it's almost like holding on to John three sixteen solves all of our soteriology problems with Calvinism, and that's not true. Because if you sit down and listen to Calvinists explain John three sixteen, you're going to be left scratching your head, thinking the guy's got some valid points. And, and I've maybe I've not looked at it that way. You've got to understand where they're coming from. And I think for to some degree, this might be somewhat dangerous to some, I guess. But really, I didn't understand Calvinism until I talked to a Calvinist. Um, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And so I've read a little about Calvinism, but it was always written by people who are non-Calvinist. Um, another way to put it and would be maybe probably even a little bit more safer Um to, to some degree would be reading people who were formerly Calvinist and they had that perspective of being able to look at John three 16 um, one way and then backing up and looking at it uh, correctly, really. Um, but again, a misunderstanding is they got John Calvin, but I got John three 16. And that's just, that's a, that's a major flaw in, in our reasoning. Um, I think um uh, the, uh, I've mentioned this already to, to some extent of just if you've got if you've got 10 verses to back up your belief system and then it's almost like we write off. OK, so the Calvinist has has eight, but I got 10. So I win. Let me take that a little bit farther. What in dealing with Calvinism, what you and I have to do is understand how to explain those, quote unquote, proof texts that the Calvinist hold on to. It's not good enough for a Calvinist to come up to you and say, well, here, uh, look at uh, predestination in Ephesians chapter number one. And then for us to mentally say, OK, I don't know how to explain that. So I'll give that to him. But I've got two verses. He's got one, but I've got two. That's a terrible way to deal with it. You, um, every Christian, every pastor has got to go to Ephesians one and explain that in an expository way. Um, you know, what is the setting? What's the background? What's the intent of the author? Uh, what is this? Uh, wh what's the right application interpretation of this? Uh, but you have got to take those proof texts and be able to explain those. Um, uh, uh, otherwise, we, we do not convince a Calvinist by continuously coming back to John three sixteen, um, I, I, as if they've never heard that before. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> so you've got to be able to explain their proof text. That's a misunderstanding. I think. Um, Another one uh, that's worth mentioning, and uh, and uh, I'll turn it over to, to you get your thoughts on on this. But we have this misunderstanding uh, that Calvinists aren't soul winners. Um, uh, some aren't. That's true. But the truth is also that some of the most apathetic and unevangelistic un preachers I know pride themselves on being non-Calvinist. So what does that do? That doesn't prove anything there's a lot of guys that should be soul winning that that aren't and so when we throw around terms and phrases like well calvinists don't try to win souls uh, calvinism will kill your missions program in your church things like this um man you're really undermining your credibility your ministry because eventually the young people in your church will grow up They'll eventually learn that George Whitfield, William Carey, Adam Nyram Judson, <laughs> and enough of the other great 
soul winners and missionaries of the past who we love, we love reading their books, had um, Calvinist uh, perspective. And so some of the greatest missionaries of, of all times. And so when we throw throw around and we, we throw out the blanket statements, Calvinists don't go soul winning. Calvinists will kill missions. Uh, uh, Calvinists uh, will, uh, you know, dry up a, a church's soul winning and, uh, and uh, fervor. Things like that. It's just not true. It's not. I think it would do us all to come to grips with that and stop throwing the sort of cliches around and uh, be honest and say, actually, some of the greatest soul winners we've ever had were Calvinist. So that's enough misunderstanding. Um, those were just a few um, uh, misunderstandings that I think you need to understand and deal with. Yeah. You know, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, Pastor Tim. You mentioned sure. reading after some former Calvinists, that that might be yeah. a safer approach. Do, do you yeah. have any uh, books or authors uh, on the uh, off the cuff that yeah. you would suggest? And, and if off the not, cuff, Wayne Flowers, he's, he's a Southern Baptist preacher. Okay. Who, um, say, say that name again. Leighton Flowers, L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, Leighton Flowers, uh, Southern Baptist down in Texas. Um, he has a, a massive amount of resources. Okay. Um, there's another fellow, he, another Baptist preacher in Oklahoma City who, I, man, I cannot remember his name. I wish I could because um, um, he wrote a book called Does God Love Some or All? And, uh, and, um, and I, just, I just don't remember his name, but it's a, it's a wonderful read. And he has spent decades uh, preaching Calvinist doc- doctrine. And uh, it was after decades of holding on to that through Bible college and into, um, I mean, 20, I think, pushing 30 years of ministry that he apologized to his church, a good sized church, and um, recanted of Calvinism. And he now speaks adamantly against it. And he wrote a wonderful book, um, book about it. I just wish I, I, I should have had that available. I should have had some of the more of those resources. Yeah. And I would say we- we can we can include those. I was asking because we can include those in our show notes, so people can still. We'll we'll do a little bit of Perfect. research after this conversation and include okay. that. People can get them there. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a number of uh, uh, resources. There was another. I remember the title of the book: um, "Young, Restless, and No Longer Reformed." Um, that's okay. another title. I just don't remember the author's name, but I'll um, do my best. I can try to see if I can. Yeah, if you, uh, shoot me some of those. those yeah, shoot shoot those to me, and we'll we'll include those in our uh, show notes, so so listeners mm-hmm. can can click on those and get a hold of those. You said that last one was young, restless, and no longer reformed. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. Appreciate those. Well, moving right along here, we already talked about maybe what can be kind of one draw to Calvinism, and that's. Basically, if you have some close friendships with individuals yeah. who would be Calvinistic, um, mm-hmm. but may, maybe even you know, within a, a person's own heart, maybe what what would be wh- why? why why the draw to Calvinism in the first place? Yeah, um, <clears throat> what I've seen, I think even by their own admission, um, John Piper spoke to this. Uh, John Piper, if, if the listeners aren't familiar, very um, Calvinistic Reformed theologian. And um, he, by his own admission, um, he, he had talked about how there is a, within Calvinism, there's a draw uh, of the intellectual uh, mind um, and even the argumentative mind. 
uh, people who like to fight and debate. He goes, I don't know why. It's just that's just how it is. And he shouldn't say that. He should say because God sovereignly ordained it to be that way. But um, if he's going to be you know, consistent. So here, my this is this is um, you know it's my opinion on this, but it is um, intellectual. It is sophisticated. Um, it it comes wrapped in fancy books and slick podcasts and bold preaching, which is a really good combination for any theology. Um, whatever you want to promote, if it's coming in fancy books, slick podcasts, and bold preaching, it's going to draw people. Um, and, and so some of the, um, one missionary, I'll give you a case in point, a missionary, um, who we supported out in, uh, Belarus for many a years. Um, when he came back to the States, this was roughly 10 years ago. Um, he's now stateside altogether, but he said he would labor and labor and labor to see unsaved people get saved. And then as soon as that person gets saved, they would go to work. They would start to witness. And lo and behold, these Calvinist friends who had never once witnessed to this guy would come and say, oh, you're a Christian. Well, we've got we've got some books. You need to come to our Bible study. We got videos. We got books. We got all these sort of all these resources. And here this missionary in Belarus, he said, all I had was a Bible. And I, I got a church building. I got a Bible. But then they can go to these other Bible studies now. And they're watching live stream videos from America. They're, they get to hold fancy books from America. And he, and he said, I was out there winning souls and I kept losing sheep to Calvinism who never tried to win the souls. They just tried to win my sheep. Now that's a missionary's perspective um, uh, on that. So, uh, which, which again, I think, okay, okay, the draw to Calvinism, why is there a, why is there a draw? It's because of the massive amount of resources that they have. And on purpose, I think this is done where a lot of what, what I call maybe practitioners of the faith, um, people I went to school with, people who are my mentors, they're not, um, and I'm not against books. I love reading books, but they don't spend most of their time reading books or I'm sorry, writing books. They're practitioners, they're preaching, they're soul winning, they're evangelizing, they're doing the, the ministry. And there seems to be um, something I listened to a guy just give his testimony about why he wanted to go to reform theology. And his testimony was this, because when I graduate, I want to write books. And it, it dawned on me, I don't think I've ever heard any, at least in my circle, that say, I want to go to Bible college, get a degree in theology so I could write books. It's always so that I could go be a missionary, I could go be a church planner, I could go be teacher. And so there's this, um, for a good amount of time, there's been a lot of teaching in Reformed theology, Calvinism in particular, that we need people to um, write books, make movies, do podcasts, do uh, videos. And so they have bombarded, by, by, by far, they have an overwhelming amount of information online. So if you were to Google, what does predestination mean in Ephesians chapter one, the vast majority of the stuff that's going to pull up is Calvinism. And um, and so that's why there's a draw, because there's such a massive amount of information that they've been getting out there. And my personal opinion is it's not to win the lost. It's to persuade the saved um, people that are newly saved. They're not they're not grounded. Um, and uh, that might be mean, but that's that's my opinion on on uh, on that uh, aspect. So. It's it's intellectual. It's sophisticated. It comes wrapped in the fancy books, in the the slick podcast, and bold preaching. And uh, there's a whole lot that 
out there. Yeah. A whole lot of it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving right along here, Pastor Tim, I, I appreciate those thoughts there. What if we're going to stand, be able to stand our ground and, and do so um, in in a right way? We're obviously mm-hmm. going to need to, like you said, not just have more scripture than the Calvinists, but actually understand the scripture that that we're using yeah. and that they're using incorrectly. So what, yeah. what are some, maybe just one or two here, what are some scriptures that we should have a good grasp on? Uh, maybe even that we are misunderstanding that it, yeah. you know, when it comes to defending against Calvinism. Yeah, this is a wonderful question. And this is where I wish I had had more help earlier mm-hmm. on. Sure. Um, and so this, uh, I'm, <clears throat> the, the, if I could talk about any one text, it's going to be Ephesians chapter one. Um, Ephesians one, uh, as the first part of that chapter um, is used by Calvinism, Calvinists rather, all of the time. And I could walk you through how, how this conversation could go. Um, and so let's, if we were sitting down as friends and we're going to do a Bible study, um, I could direct the conversation. Let's just check out Ephesians chapter one, verse number three. And let's just, let's just take a look at, you know, how God saves us and how how magnificent our sovereign God is. So if you look at Ephesians 1 and verse number 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ, according as he has chosen us. You see, God's chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, now adoption, you know what that means, right? I mean, that means saved, right? So he has predestinated us unto adoption. He predestinated us unto salvation. So before we were ever born, he predestinated us to be saved. I mean, isn't this incredible that God knew us, that God predestinated us to this glorious end? And uh, that, that verse number five continues, um, uh, that are continued by saying he's predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. I mean, it's his grace that's predestined us. It's by grace that we're saved. And he has made us accepted in the beloved. I mean, isn't, isn't that just incredible? Now, if I agree with that, and it would be super easy to agree with that, um, then I've got you. <laughs> I've, I've I've taken I've helped a a Christian become a Calvinist because I'm the one that gets to define the terms. I'm the one that's using the persuasive terminology, um, and I'm using words like um, adoption, and I'm defining it as I go. It means salvation, right? And so when I I looked at that for the longest time and struggled with it because I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, it really seems to be that way. I don't know. I, I, I honestly came to a point in time where I don't know how else to see this. Um, and so it became very, um, uh, very, well, there's a great wrestling match, I guess, in my own mind on Ephesians chapter number one. It just, but at the same time, you know, I got John 316. <laughs> so, so I do have other scriptures and it's got to reconcile. And so once I, once I was, I, I think, comfortable enough to be able to say, I, um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into Ephesians one, study Ephesians one, chapter one out. I'm not going to just chalk that up and say, okay, the Calvinists have chapter Ephesians one, and I might not understand it all, but I've got, um, uh, first John two, two, 
Um, yeah, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And I'm going to hold on to that verse. They can hold on to Ephesians. Um, so I'm going to back up then. And um, if listeners, if they if they have their Bible, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back up to verse one. I'm not going to uh, let the Calvinist start with verse three. And I want to ask some very basic questions, basic questions that we would ask of any text. We want to ask questions of like who's writing, um, who is he writing to, um, and you know why is he writing. So let's just try to answer the question: Who is he writing to? Um, right off the bat, we see it's Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing. Who is he writing to? Okay, let's answer this question. So Ephesians chapter one, verse number one: Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So right off the bat, Paul is writing to saved people. He's writing to saints. He's writing to faithful Christians. Verse 2, grace be to you. Who? The saints. Those faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, spiritual, spiritual blessings uh, in Christ. Now, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. Okay. How's that? Who's us? It's this, he's still writing to the same people, saints, faithful in Christ Jesus. He's blessed us who are saved with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, don't lose track of this either. He's talking, this is at least the second time, um, third time that he's mentioned in Christ. In Christ um, is how verse number one ends. In Christ is how verse number two ends. In Christ is how verse number three ends. So he's writing to saints, he's writing to believers, and these believers identify in Christ. We are in him, okay? Verse, according as he has chosen us, who's he chosen? He's chosen saved people in him before the foundation of the world that we, saved people, should be what? We sh Christians should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, who's us? He's predestinated us Christians who are in him. He's predestinated Christians who are in him unto the adoption of children. Now, I'm pause for a second. This is going to be crucial. Um, we, so Paul's writing to Christians who are in Christ. Okay. He, he's, yeah, they're already in Christ. And he's, he's made this, I think, abundantly clear. So who's being predestinated? It's not unsaved people being predestinated to salvation. He's writing to save people and that that are in Christ and those saved people in Christ are predestinated unto adoption. Now, the Calvinists would want you to believe that adoption is always talking about salvation and it is not. Romans 8, 23, we're going to use the Bible to define the Bible. All right. So um, all I want to do is I want to make it very clear who is Paul writing to. He's writing to saints that are faithful that are in Christ, and it's those people who he has chosen. And in verse number four, it doesn't say that he chose them unto salvation. It says that he chose them before the foundation of the world to be holy. So this is the I, this is what I would submit to you. It was God's plan be, before he ever saved you as a Christian. He has already predetermined before the foundation of the world. He predetermined that whoever is in Christ he has predestined and predetermined that they should be holy. That's what he predestined before the, 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 the world. And that's what the scripture says clearly. 
he's not writing to unsaved people to be predestined to heaven. He's writing to save people in Christ and he has predestined them unto holiness. He goes on to actually talk about um, uh, adoption. And if you look at um, in Romans chapter number eight um, and uh, uh, verse number 23, I'm going to pull this up. I don't have this um, ready, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to make sure I get it, uh, get it right. Okay, so in um, Romans in chapter number eight, um, Paul's talking about a, a, a lot of different things. Um, he even talks about uh, how we have the, uh, the spirit of God that dwells in us. Um, verse number nine, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of him and none of his. Um, he's talking about the spirit that dwells in us in verse number 11. Um, and... Uh, and uh, the spirit, um, if you look at verse number 15, he says, we have received this, uh, we have, uh, ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So this is clear. The believer has the spirit of God that dwells within. We have received the spirit of adoption. That's the Holy Spirit of God. If you keep reading, we currently have the spirit of adoption, but look at what we're waiting for. In verse number 23, actually in verse number 22, if we say this, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. And uh, in the context there is all of creation is groaning and waiting for the return of Christ. And not only they, not just creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the spirit, that's the spirit of adoption, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for what? Ah, we are Christians. We have the spirit of God that dwells within, but we believers who are in Christ, we are waiting for the adoption. And in case we don't know what that means, he goes on to define this to wit. I want you to know what this means. The redemption of our body. When is that going to happen? That's going to happen at a later time. Ephesians. Now, if you go back and you look at carefully what Paul's talking about there in Ephesians in chapter number one, he says that he, we, he has predestinated us who are in him. To, uh, unto the adoption of children. That's that future glorified state when we have redeemed bodies and salvation comes to its full culmination. Um, we have, there, there's nobody out there today that, that would say that they have their glorified body. That's to come, that's future. But I guarantee you this, every Christian who is in Christ, every Christian who's been born again of the spirit, guess what? God has predestinated you to that end. There, there's, that's one of the reasons why I believe in eternal security. You, you, in Christ, we are predestinated to, to adoption, to wit, the redemption of our physical body, a redeemed body. This um, is very consistent, not just with the rest of scripture, but with Ephesians number one um, as well. Um, because if you keep reading through the text here, um, uh, what may actually, before I keep going, does that, is there anything that that um, you think I should clarify or does that make sense? No, I'm just taking good um, notes here. No, that's good. Okay. So we're, we're already saved. The, the adoption is that glorified body that we'll get at a future yeah. date. And right now we have the spirit of adoption yes. while we're waiting for that adoption. The physical which we are adoption. Yeah. 
And so that's what he's predestinated us to verse number five. Yeah. If I go back up to verse number four, I'm going to, I'm going to insert some words. This is, this is, and now by my own admission, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to impose on the text how I, how I believe it reads. Um, according verse number four, according as he has chosen us who are in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now I have imposed those, but the Calvinists, they impose their own. They would say it this way, having predestinated us to be in him. Um, you, you see the difference? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse number four, according as he has chosen us to be in him before the foundation of the world. So they're imposing the words to be. And he's, he's, he's chosen us to be in him. But again, I, I think the, if we're using the Bible to interpret the Bible and we understand who Paul's writing to, he's writing to the saints in Christ Jesus. Um, and he has chosen us who are in him before the foundation of the world. He, he, this is what he, he chose to do before they found, formed the world that we who are in him should be holy and without blame before him in love. He doesn't say he's predestinated us or chosen us to be saved. No, he's, he's chosen us to be holy. He has chosen us Christians who are in him. So I feel like maybe I'm beating the dead horse here, but I, I want that to be abundantly clear. Now, one of the issues then um, with Calvinism is it never fully takes all the way down to verse number 14. And Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14 really is the complete thought there. It really is that, that paragraph that we've got to, um, and this is worth noting, because in Calvinism, you don't come to Christ unless unless uh, Christ, um, first of all, um, redeems you. Um, pre, uh, uh, pre-faith, um, oh, what's that word? Um, pre-faith regeneration, pre-faith regeneration, so that a person is regenerated by God before they place their faith in Jesus Christ. That's that's one of the main tenets of Calvinism. If somebody rejects that, you, you really cannot call yourself a Calvinist. That's that's one of the main concepts there is that you are redeemed first um, and you will irresistibly be saved because you are redeemed. And then you're going to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, let's just see if that's how Paul explains salvation. And it's right here in Ephesians chapter one, um, uh, verse number uh, verse number eleven, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, an, an inheritance. Again, that's what's to come, being destinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. So again, that inheritance is predestinated. Verse twelve, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. Now look at verse thirteen. In whom ye, ye, you people that I'm writing to, you people who are in Christ, ye also trusted when, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed. <laughs> okay, so what happened after you were after you believed? After you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's not the other way around. Calvinism teaches that first you're sealed, you're saved, and and you're irresistibly will call upon the Lord. That is not the order salutis, the order of salvation that Paul describes here in verse number 13. You, you can actually hear the gospel. And when you, upon hearing the gospel, you can believe. 
And after that, you believe you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Calvinism has that totally backwards. Um, and so verse number 14, uh, the spirit is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Again, you see how that's a future tense? Uh, we have the spirit of adoption, and that's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption that's to come. And that's, a, the, that's adoption. The redemption of the purchased possession, that's our full adoption in Christ. That is future. That is to come. That's the context of Ephesians 1. Um, the, uh, specifically concerning adoption. So he's not talking about salvation um, in, in that he's talking about sanctification of the believer um, and that full culmination of salvation uh, uh, there in Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter one. So um, again, if you, are, if, if you go to try to maybe do a little bit of homework on this online, you it, to me it makes complete sense now and it completely fits with the rest of the scriptures um but there's not a lot of guys writing this um out, 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 out and talking about um i think a consistent interpretation of ephesians chapter one instead we i've noticed in in writings in sermons i've listened to guys um they skirt the issue they don't address they don't try to de de define these different terms and the, the two things that convinced me is this it's just two simple rules of bible interpretation is one who is paul writing to and the second one is using the bible to interpret the bible and and then the whole rest of that context just clicked in my mind and the whole rest of it is talking about our future culmination of salvation so ephesians 1 definitely one of those passages that guys um i think we must get our minds around in being able to explain and not don't skirt that don't try to avoid it um, and so that would be concerning the predest that's predestined to heaven um and so some calvinists would say well i'm a, um i believe some people are predestined to heaven um but i but then they reject the notion that some are predestined to hell which is an absolute uh fallacy to me if some are predestined to heaven by default there must be people predestined to heaven. as much as people would want to reject that idea and call me ignorant it that does i don't you can call me whatever you want it's just super logical and so if god's predestinated some to heaven he has predestinated some to hell sometimes that's called double predestination and um, a lot of calvinists frown on that um but you can't have your cake and eat it too if you're going to believe in you, you, by default, there's people predestined to hell. Um, so a text that people will use um, about being predestined for hell is Proverbs 16, 4. Um, and the Bible says, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even wicked for the day of evil. So there you have it. I mean, God creates people for this express purpose of just throwing them into hell and for his glory. And the conversation, <laughs> okay, so... And this is what's interesting because there's usually there's usually some dialogue that would go like this. Um, uh, on judgment day, do you think God will be glorified? And my answer would be, yeah, of course, God's going to be glorified. So when God exercises his perfect justice, would he not be glorified? I said, I would say, well, sure, I, I can go with that. And so when when he exercises perfect justice and people are condemned to hell he's glorified 
And he's created us for his glory and for his purpose. And some people are glorified when they're in heaven. Some people are glorified when he goes, when they go to hell, but to God be the glory. And so it's, it's, this, it's a, it's a different. Okay. Um, but that's, that's usually some sort of a preface or precursor that's going to um, uh, come before maybe something after an explanation of uh, Proverbs 16, four, because the Lord has made all things for himself. Yeah. Even the wicked for the day of evil, and he's going to be glorified. Um, even when wicked people are condemned to hell. So there you go, Proverbs 16.4. And so again, um, on, on Proverbs 16.4, I'm going to use the same, my same um, rules of interpretation. I want to use the Bible to interpret uh, the Bible. And so here we are in Proverbs 16.4. Um, I'm going to look at some, maybe some Old Testament passages um, that that would help us understand this. And so if, if I were to, if I, if I if I let a Calvinist define the term and say, well, the day of evil, that just means hell. Okay, so right away, if I let him define the terms, I've lost I've lost the argument. I've I've lost my my Bible footing. Instead of letting them define the terms, let's do this. Well, where else is the day of evil found in the Old Testament? Um, and if you Google that phrase, it's actually found three times in the Old Testament. Once right there, we read in Proverbs, the other times are found in uh, the book of Jeremiah. And so in uh, uh, Jeremiah um, in uh, chapter number 25 uh, the, uh, is where you find that phrase, um, uh, the day of evil. Um, again, I'm sorry, not Jeremiah 25, it's Jeremiah 17. <clears throat> so Jeremiah 17, uh, 17, uh, let me uh, pull this up and, um, we can, we can walk through this. So again, where, where else, where else can I find that phrase, the day of evil? Um, and let me just pull this up and Jeremiah 17, verse number 17. Uh, <clears throat> be not a terror unto me. Thou art my hope in the day of evil. So this is Jeremiah praying, really uh, praying for um, just even deliverance. But he's asking God, don't when the day of evil comes, don't be a terror to me. OK, so that's this. That's the second time it's mentioned day of evil. Here's the third time it's mentioned. Verse 15. Let them be confounded that persecute me, but let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed. But let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil and destroy them with double destruction. And so here we have the phrase day of evil. And um, what's what's happening here in in Jeremiah's prayer He's asking God to be merciful unto him when judgment falls upon God's people, the Israelites. By the way, in the Old Testament, guess who the chosen people are? The Israelites. <laughs> And so chosen doesn't always mean saved. And that's another fallacy, I think, of Calvinism. They always want to redefine words. And the vast majority of the time the word chosen is found in the scriptures, it has a reference to do with Israel. Um, okay, so in Jeremiah, then we, if I could, um, what if I were to look at Proverbs 16 this way? The Lord has made all things for himself. Yea, even King Nebuchadnezzar for the punishment of rebellious Judah. In other words, the Lord has made all things for himself. How about even a fish to swallow rebellious Jonah? 
it, you see, God makes all things for himself. But what we're talking about here, the day of evil is not eternal punishment in hell. It's 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 temporal judgment against chosen sin. They had a choice to rebel against God or they had the choice to obey God. They chose to rebel against God. And so Jeremiah is pleading with them to repent. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And Jeremiah sees that now. And he's saying, okay, Lord, when the day of evil comes, he's not talking about hell. He's talking about the temporal punishment of God's rebellious people. So if we were to uh, make just, if I can make application in that way using Proverbs 16 and Jeremiah 17, I can interpose this and make application this way. The Lord has made all things for himself. Yea, even Nebu King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, uh, which is uh, the wicked. Um, uh, and Eli, he wasn't at that point in time, he wasn't godly at all. Eventually he would come to know Jehovah, I believe. And Daniel talks about that for the day of evil. And the day of evil in Jeremiah is the punishment of rebellious Judah against their choices. They made a choice to rebel. God's going to deal with them. That's the day of judgment. Evil. So it's not talking about hell. Okay. So what did I, what, what have I done? I'm, I've used the Bible to interpret the Bible. I've seen where those phrase is used elsewhere. And, uh, but we, we automatically lose or we get very confused when we let a Calvinist define our terms. And so between Ephesians one and Proverbs 17, I hope, I mean, that's a couple of verses. One's talking about predestination to heaven. One's talking about predestination to hell. And so uh, those just two that I wanted to touch on. Yeah, no, that that's fantastic, man. We, we, uh, definitely went deep there. That's good. I think that's very helpful. I, I made some good notes here and I'll probably be referring back to this podcast episode myself <laughs> as I get into some discussions there in the Maybe future. Help. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, pastor Tim, as we are wrapping this conversation about Calvinism and, and defending against that, um, even mm -hmm. in our own lives, what, what would be maybe one last piece of advice that you would give um, uh, to to, the, to our listeners? So, so the piece of advice that I would give is the advice that I, I gave myself, even when I, I didn't have a whole lot of reason to, and it's to don't throw your mentors away. Um, I, I remember distinctly coming to a time where it didn't seem like any of the people that had mentored me in ministry seemed to have a clear answer on some of these issues of Calvinism that I was dealing with. Every, oh, so many people had these boilerplate answers that were very generic and cookie cutter, but they didn't fit the Calvinism that I'm dealing with. And so it gave legitimacy to that, that persuasion or that flavor, if you will, of, of Calvinism. Um, but I didn't throw away my mentors. I kept calling. I kept pursuing. I kept just asking questions um, and, and, ask, and just opening up the Bible with them and help having them confront some of these issues um, with me. And I eventually got very good, solid counsel. And a lot of guys that were able to break through it just for whatever reason got allowed me personally to just seem like I was running against a brick wall, but I was just so unwilling to throw out my mentors, people that have invested in me, uh, people that have helped shape, sh sharpen me. Um, and, uh, and, and eventually, uh, God allowed uh, me to be around some guys that would give, I think, very solid, sound Bible answers that I just 
started soaking in. And so as far as a piece of advice, um, man, for younger guys in ministry, older guys in ministry, it, it just, it, it's, 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 uh, not just discouraging to me personally, but it's, it's, um, it says, I think to, to me, because this is a road that I've walked, it says a lot about a person when they're totally unwilling to even sit down, uh, they make up their mind. And then instead of seeking counsel and really trying to be sharpened and helped concerning this issue in particular, they just throw up their arms all together. They jump ship. Um, they walk away from the people who have prayed for them, loved them, invested in them. And they, they chuck as being ignorant or dumb. And now they're going to go chase, chase the, the fancy book, the slick covers, the bold reaching, the, you know, the, all these sort of things uh, that they see and hoping that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. I, I just, um, um, man, there's just something to that when there, there really are, uh, Bible answers, um, uh, amongst your, your good mentors that God has providentially put into your life. Yeah. There's, and, there's probably so, a more problem there than just uh, a misunderstanding of some scripture. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a, there's something else that needs to be dealt with there as well. Probably. Yeah, that's probably another podcast there. Probably so. Yeah, <laughs> but, how to treat your mentors, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or how to reach out yeah, to them, or something. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, I think a person ought to be willing to sit down and um, and uh, with their pastor, with some godly counsel, um, and listen. And it's it's amazing to me on how many guys won't do that, but they give their ear to people who they do not know. They don't know their character, so they just they make up these images of how smart godly and dignified um some of these online preachers are um <laughs> sort of things and they live in this imaginary theological world um and and then they, when they make up their mind then they come let their pastor know it's kind of like the family that you know they already decide they're going to move across country and they load up their U-Haul and show up at their pastor's house and say, hey, pastor, we're thinking about moving. Would you pray for us? They've already made up their mind by the time they come talk to their pastor. And that's so wrong. <laughs> so wrong. You ought to be able to lean on godly counsel that God in his sovereignty has given you. And and um, and then he may say, you know what? I don't have an answer, but I got a good friend who may. Let's go have some lunch. And that's exactly how started to transform transpire in my life. Um, and I sought for answers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Well, th thank you again. I, I hope this conversation will be a, a help pastor Tim to, to the yeah. listeners. I know it's been a help to me already and just yeah. uh, especially the, the better grasp on some scripture there. Uh, I think that's uh, going to be very helpful. So thank you so much. Sure. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. I enjoyed it. Yes, and uh, my privilege. Thank you for the invitation to be a part of it. And uh, I do hope as well. Be praying that uh, that can be an encouragement and help equip some people on how to um, deal with the faith. Yeah. If you would like to take advantage of some of those resources that Pastor Tim mentioned, then you will be able to find those in the show notes. If this episode has been a help to you, then please give us a five-star review as that would help get this content in front of more listeners. And then also, if you have an idea about a topic that you would like to mention, please find us on Facebook at Not The Pastor. Thanks for listening, and we are Not The Pastor.